0: Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. What a blessing it is that we may be here again for the second time on this day to join in worship of our triune God. A hearty welcome to all who are present here this afternoon, but also to all those who have joined us via the live stream. May the preaching of the gospel message direct our hearts and minds in faith and trust to our Savior, Jesus Christ. And cause us to live our lives to the praise of him. Consistently as the following announcements, as mentioned this morning, we've been advised by Reverend Poppy, after much prayerful consideration, that he has accepted a call to Carter Brook. That message was instrumental in giving joy to many people in Carter Brook, but also caused some sadness and disappointments for the people in Albany, and also for many people in our midst. But let us remember that our minister, Reverend Poppy, has been successfully ministering in our midst for almost 10 years, and for that we are very thankful. Church visitation, will the Lord willing, take place this coming Thursday at 7.30 in the Consistory Room, and this afternoon service also will be led By Reverend Poppy. But before we commence the worship service, let us sing together from hymn 53, verse 4. Hymn 53, verse 4.
1: Brothers and sisters, please rise and let's worship the Lord. As God's people, we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Grace to you in peace from him who is, and who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Amen. Let's now sing together a song of praise. We're going to sing from Psalm 149, verse 1. Let's now make a profession of our faith, and let's do so this afternoon with the words of the Apostles' Creed as set to music in "Him two. Now, pray to God and ask God for His blessing <laughs> Almighty God, dear Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, that once again this Sunday afternoon, you call us into your presence. You teach us in your word, Father, that we ought not to neglect to meet together as some are in the habit of doing, but that we should do so, and all the more as we see the day approaching. It is your joy to gather your church together, and the reason you wish us to be together, Lord, is because you want to bless us. You want to tell us about your grace in Christ. And you want to encourage us in our faith in you. Thank you for this great love. Thank you for the gift of your word, Father. Thank you that it is the word of truth, that you tell us the truth about yourself and the truth about ourselves, that we come to know you, that we can understand who you are and how we can live in a relationship with you. And thank you also, Lord, that you tell us about what you do with us when we break relationship. When we sin against you, that it is your delight to restore that relationship and take us to yourself again. Dear Father in heaven, we pray for a blessing of your Holy Spirit. We ask that this afternoon that you do a miracle in our hearts, that you open our hearts to be sensitive to your word, that we understand what you teach us, that we believe it, that we take it to heart, and that we draw near to you. Father, we can't do that of our own strength, and so we pray that you accomplish this with your powerful Holy Spirit. Please accept the songs that we sing, accept the prayers that we offer, please be glorified by our thank offerings, and please grant, Lord, that in everything we do, that your name is praised and glorified. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So this afternoon, brothers and sisters, I may preach the gospel to you as we find that or concerning what the scripture says about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. In connection with that, I'd like to read two passages of scripture with you. First, we're going to read together from Isaiah 40, and then from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So we'll start reading from Isaiah 40, the verses 12 to 31. You can find that on page 713 of your guest Bible. So in Isaiah 40, we start reading in verse 12. God's word says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and mark off the heavens with a span, and closed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales, and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord, or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult, and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice, and taught him knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket, and are accounted as dust on the scales. Before, behold, he takes up the coastlands as fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness." They shall run and not be weary; they shall walk and not faint. Then we turn in our reading to the book of corinthians we 're going to read together from one Corinthians chapter two, page eleven hundred and thirty two but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest on the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood it, The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So far. Let's now sing together. We're going to sing sing from Psalm 143, the verses 5 and 6. This afternoon, I preach the gospel to you concerning the person and work of God the Holy Spirit. We're going to do so by looking at what the church has also summarized and confessed in Lord's Day 20 of the Heidelberg Catechism. You can find that on page 534 of your book of praise. In Lord's Day 20, there it has this heading God the Holy Spirit and our sanctification. What do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? First, he is together with the Father and the Son, true and eternal God. Second, he is also given to me to make me, by true faith, share in Christ and all his benefits, to comfort me, and to remain with me forever. And after the proclamation of the gospel, we'll sing together to praise the work of God the Holy Spirit, hymn 49, verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. Dear brothers and sisters, congregation loved by the Lord Jesus Christ, one of the special gifts that God has given to us as a congregation is that he's brought some new members to faith in Jesus Christ. A couple of weeks ago, it was Ian and Isa who professed their faith in Christ and were baptized. Last year, we had a bunch of other people. If the Lord is willing, then in a couple of months, there might be a few more people. It's really quite an incredible thing that God works faith in the hearts of these people so that they come to know him, that they desire to have a relationship with him, and that they seek to join his church. It's quite a, a blessing for us as well to see the zeal of these new members. And it's not only the new members. You know, We all get to see something similar happen in the hearts and lives of our own children. If our children come to faith in Christ, if they believe that God is the Lord, and if they put their trust in him, that, that also is, is not a, a natural thing. That's also the result of, of a powerful work of God. And how does it come about? Well, there's, there's two things that really stand out. There's, in part, our own responsibility. When you read through the scriptures, the Lord tells us that, that each of us has a responsibility to use the means of grace. God tells us to read his word. He tells us to to come to church and to listen to the proclamation of the gospel. He tells us to to submit ourselves to the discipline, the admonition of consistory. He encourages us in the use of the sacraments. And so there's certain means that God has given us that he uses to reveal himself to us and to draw us close to him. And then on top of that, there's also the work of God. In Lord's Day 20, we make a confession about God the Holy Spirit. We confess in the first place that he's true and eternal God. And then we confess that he's also given to me to make me by true faith share in Christ and all his benefits to comfort me and to remain with me forever. It is the Spirit of Christ who gives us true faith and who enables us to share in the benefits of Christ. And so what God's saying here is he's saying you can't logically explain the faith to someone. It's not as if you give a person a certain teaching and you instruct them in a certain way and maybe you model it in a certain way for them and then the output is that they have faith in Christ. It doesn't necessarily work that way. You do it with some people, you teach them who God is, you show them the gospel, you tell them about Jesus Christ, and they do believe. But there's other people, they get the same inputs, and they don't believe. And the reason for that is ultimately because faith is the work of God. The Holy Spirit has to do something supernatural for a person to come to faith in Christ. And so I preach God's word to you under this theme God the Holy Spirit. Reveals the secret wisdom of God. We'll see in the first place our limitations, and then secondly, God's, the Spirit's power. So, what does it take for somebody to become a believer? Well, it's interesting. Often it starts with our lifestyle. One of the core things God says is, He says, if you're a Christian, He says that's going to have a profound impact on your character. It's going to have a huge impact on your conduct. If you meet someone out in the world, if you meet someone at at uni or at McDonald's, or if you you have an employee who works for you, then they don't know God. They don't really, probably, maybe, they don't have a Bible. It's possible that they've never even set foot in a church. And so how do they get to know God? Well, their only contact with God is through you. They get to see you. And when they get to see you, then they get to see what what does it look like if God lives in you? What does a Christian life look like? And God has designed it that way, that your life is a powerful testimony. It's a billboard proclaiming the message of the gospel to the people around you. It's really interesting. The Lord, he often talks about that when he talks about how we are a light to this world and how other people come to know us through him, then the emphasis is in the first place on our conduct. You think of the well-known passage in Matthew 5, verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let your light shine so that people may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. The first way the light shines is through what you do, through your conduct. And that's something the Apostle Paul picks up, Colossians 4. Conduct yourselves wisely towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Well, Paul starts off here with your conduct. Conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. If you walk as the children of God, then you are going to be a bright star shining in a dark world. You know, it's not just people out there. Sometimes the shining happens with people who are really close to you? The Apostle Peter he addresses a situation where you're married to someone who's not a believer. You know that's something that that happens more often to people who first come to church. They come to meet someone, they come to have faith in Jesus Christ. They're interested in knowing more. They come along to church and they want to get to know God and they grow in a relationship with Him. But they're married to someone who's not a believer. And so this happened, so they they came to the Apostle Peter, and these, these women, they asked, they say, what are we supposed to do? It was often the women. They had the children, they wanted to go good for their kids, and so they see what's going on at church, they see the godly lives of God's people, and they say, I want that for my children. And so they came to the Apostles, and they say, what do we do? I'm married to this pagan. He doesn't know God, he doesn't serve God, he's a heathen, he lives a godless lifestyle. You know, do I get divorced from him? Or do I stick with him? Or how do I manage this? The Apostle Peter, 1 Peter 3 verse 1, he says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Peter says it's really important for you to have a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. He says, you don't nag him. You don't come down on him. You don't preach at him all the time. He says, the first thing is that your husband may be won over without a word by your conduct when they see that you're a changed person, when they see the godly, the gentle and quiet spirit that is within you. Well, will it always happen? Not necessarily. The Apostle Paul addresses that in 1 Corinthians 7. You know, in the first place, he, he encourages those who are married to an unbeliever. He says, you stay with them. If you're married to an unbeliever, then he says your, your first calling is, is to remain with them. Now, it can happen that the unbeliever looks at you and says, man, I didn't sign up for this. Like, this is just, this is weird. This, this Christian faith thing, that's not for me. And Paul says, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 10 to 16, he says, in that case, he says, you're not bound. He says, then you can get a divorce. But he says, after that, he says, if they are willing to stay with you, then you live with them. Wife, how do you know whether you will save your husband? And husband, how do you know whether you will save your Wife. It is possible that when your wife sees the impact that the gospel has in your life, that it changes her and she becomes a new person. When your husband sees the different spirit within you, that he wants what you have. And so in all these passages, what God says, is, he says, it starts with your lifestyle. Your life is to be a billboard of the gospel. People are supposed to be able to see you. They're supposed to see something of the grace of God that shines through in your life. And it's at that stage when people see that, they often become curious about it. They want what you have. They want to share in what you have. And so they ask questions. And then the Lord says "Then you have this unique opportunity to testify to the hope of the gospel. That's the pattern in Colossians 3, verse 5. Conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders, making the best use of the time, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each person. First, conduct yourself wisely. The very next thing, he says, is let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you always know how to answer everyone. The Lord wants us to use the opportunities that we have with those who don't know him to speak to them about the hope of the gospel and to share with them the hope that's in us. You know, that's a calling that all of us who are parents have in the first place with our children. The Lord lays it upon our hearts that it is our responsibility to teach our children to know him. We have to to mirror Jesus Christ in our lives and then we have to, to lay the word of God on the hearts of our children. It's in Deuteronomy 6, verse 7, after calling us to love God and to love our neighbor, then the Lord says to parents, he says, you shall teach these commandments diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. It is the calling of fathers to instruct your child in the training and the discipline of the Lord. This is something we do as parents, This is something we cooperate together with as a congregation. We meet together here and and we listen to the preaching of the gospel. We send our children to catechism classes and they get to hear about who God is and what God has done for them. And the Lord does this because he wishes to reach into our hearts. He wishes to change us. Sometimes we, we don't think much of that. Sometimes it happens, we hear the calling to come to church and we think, yeah, another Sunday afternoon, do I really want to do that? Maybe I'll just skip it this time because it's not that big of a deal. And you know, if you're in that space, then maybe you don't understand what God does. We heard this morning that the Lord uses his word in order to effect change in the hearts and lives of his people. As in Hebrews 10, verse 25, the Lord says that we are not to neglect to meet together. It's through the preaching that he draws us close to him. And so in the first place, brothers and sisters, we have a responsibility to live a Christian life. We have a responsibility to speak of the hope that is in us, to tell others about who God is and what God has done for us. We have to testify to the hope of the gospel. We have to train our children to know and love God. We have to submit ourselves to the preaching. You have to listen to who God is and what He says. But then you know you can do all that, and it's still not automatic. It doesn't necessarily lead to faith. And the reason for that is because faith is the work of God. Sometimes we have it as parents we train our children, we love them, we discipline them. We model for them. And then we have a son or daughter who doesn't believe. They don't trust God. They don't have a relationship with him. And then the very first question we can ask ourselves is is we ask ourselves, well, maybe I failed. Maybe it's me. And have you failed? Probably. Probably. You're not a perfect parent. You haven't given a a perfect example of who Christ is in your life. You haven't always been faithful in training your children. You haven't disciplined them as you you probably should have. You haven't always given them the example that they needed. You're someone who's probably struggled with their own besetting sins. There's times where you probably got really frustrated and really angry with your children. You pushed them away instead of drawing them close. But you know, you're the same parent for the children who did believe. And yet they believed. And there are many other parents who also failed, and yet their children still believed. And so at the end of the day, it's not about you. It's not about what you've done or what you failed to do, but it's about God. The core reason why many people who hear the gospel don't believe is because they're sinners. Because they don't want to believe. It's actually what Paul says in the passage just before 1 Corinthians 2. Back in 1 Corinthians 1, he says that the message of the gospel is folly to those who are perishing. There's some people who hear the gospel and it just doesn't register. It doesn't make sense. Sometimes it's an intellectual thing. How can a virgin give birth to a child? How can a person be both God and man? How can someone die and come to life? More often, it's a lifestyle thing. People resist the call of the gospel. They resist the call to holiness that the Lord puts, puts on them. They want to live according to their own desires. And they resist the call of God when he says you ought to put sin to death and you have to live a holy life. And so at one level, the gospel is not appealing to them. It seems like foolishness, Paul says. And so they resist it and they want to get away from it. And on top of that, God also says, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4, that the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Another reason why many people don't understand the gospel and don't believe it is because unbelievers have been blinded by the devil. The devil's blinded their minds. He is a spiritual power, he has great authority, he has great influence. And he blinds certain people so that even though they hear the gospel, it doesn't, doesn't have any uptake, it doesn't find root in their hearts, it doesn't produce any fruit in their lives. Well, if you think about that, if you think about the fact that in the first place, we resist it because of our own sinfulness, and secondly, we're blinded because of the devil's work, then you wonder to yourself, how is it possible for anyone to believe? How can it happen? And the answer is, because this is the work of God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit reveals God to his people. It is in 1 Corinthians 2, in the verses 9 to 10. Maybe you want to open your Bible and we'll actually just look at a few verses together here. So 1 Corinthians 2, the verses 9 to 10, that the Apostle Paul talks about the wisdom that we have from the Spirit. He starts off in verse 6 and 7. He says, we're imparting wisdom, but he says, it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. In verse seven, he says, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God has decreed before the ages for our glory. And then in verse nine, he says, but as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the spirit. For the spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Paul says, the Holy Spirit does a powerful thing in you. He reveals to you things that cannot be understood apart from him. And then Paul, he takes it apart in the next verse as he says, how is it possible for the Holy Spirit to reveal God to you? Well, he says it's possible because the Holy Spirit knows God, because the Holy Spirit is God. It's in the following verses, verse 11 and 12, he says, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of the person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. So what he's really saying here is he's saying, just think for yourself. Who really knows you? Now maybe your spouse knows you. Maybe your parents know you really well. Maybe a brother or sister knows you really well. There's some people pretty close to you, and, and they can know a lot about you. But is there anyone who really knows everything about you? Is there anyone who knows the deepest motives of your heart, the deepest thoughts that you have within you? Solomon talks about that. Proverbs 14, verse 10, he says there isn't anyone. He says each heart knows its own bitterness, and no one else can share its joy. And Paul actually says the same thing about the Lord. He says, the only one who really knows God is the Spirit of God. But he says, that's the point. The Spirit of God is God, and he does know God. And because he does know God, what he he does is he takes his knowledge of God, and he imparts that to you. He who knows God lives in you. And he enables you to know God. And he can do that because he is God, because he knows God. And so how does a person come to believe? Well, Paul says you can never do that by yourself. You're blinded by the devil. You naturally resist the message of the gospel. But the Lord gives you his Holy Spirit. And it's through the Spirit that you understand who God is and what God has done for you. And then in verse 12 he continues... He says there in verse 12, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words taught not by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, imparting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Now the reality is that Paul was speaking here in a context where Jews demanded signs and Greeks, they respected wisdom. They had these eloquent speakers who were excellent in the rhetorical arguments. And they would make these wonderful speeches and convince other people of their ideas. And Paul says, that's not who we are. We can't do signs. We're not the greatest rhetoricians. We come to you with the word of God. And he says, that word has power because the spirit uses the word to affect faith in the hearts and lives of God's people. The spirit who knows God, he uses these words of God in order to change us so that we too can believe in God and that we can have a relationship with him. And so the core difference between a believer and unbeliever is that if you believe in Jesus Christ, you've been given the gift of the spirit of God. In verse 14, the apostle Paul gets back to that. He says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And so he continues the argument. He started back in chapter 1. These other people, they thought they were so wise, and they looked down at Paul as being so dumb because he preaches this gospel of Jesus Christ. And then Paul speaks into that, and he says... He says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They're spiritually discerned. They don't make any sense to him. And then what happens is that the people who don't know God, when they see you and when they see your life, many times they're critical of you. They look at what you believe. They look at, at your morals and your values, what comes out of your life, what comes out of your faith. Oftentimes they feel accused by that. And oftentimes there is their, their response is to judge you and to condemn you. And so if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you hold on to the righteousness of God's law, then there are many people who, who look down at you and who will attack you. They look at you and you're not getting drunk with the rest of the people at the company parties. And you're not sleeping around like everybody else. And you think that euthanasia is wrong. And you're willing to speak out. You speak up. And you go against the woke movement. Well, they look down on you. But God says, that's utter foolishness. He says, you want to criticize a believer for their views? He says, that's madness. In verse 15, the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. If you're a Christian, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if your thinking has been shaped by the gospel, then it is because the Spirit of God is in you. And if the Spirit of God is in you and someone criticizes you, then ultimately what they're doing is they're criticizing God. And the Apostle Paul, he he looks at that and he says, how could, you, how could you think of doing something like that? In The very last verse of this chapter here, he quotes in verse 16 there, he quotes from Isaiah 40, the passage we read together, for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? In Isaiah 40, the Israelites are about to go into exile. They're about to suffer for all the sins that they committed over generations, and they're really going to question God. They're going to say, God, how come this is happening to us? And then the answer that God gives is he says, I'm the Lord. I know all things. This is not outside my power. I have all things in in control. And I'm a just God and I'm a wise God and I know what's best and I do what's best. He says the nations, they're like nothing. They're like a drop in the bucket. You know, the wisdom of the nations, it accounts for nothing. I am the Lord and I know very well what I'm doing. Well, the, the Apostle Paul, he takes that idea From Isaiah 40. And he says, If you believe in Jesus Christ, then you share in that wisdom of God. And then if unbelievers look at you and they criticize you, then ultimately they're criticizing God and they're judging God. And they're saying that God is dumb for what he says and for what he teaches us. Well, Paul says, We have the Spirit of God. We have what's most precious. And so we're not subject to other people's judgments. And so at core, the only way to come to faith in Christ is through the work of the Spirit of God. It's Christ's greatest joy to give it to you, brothers and sisters. He died and he rose again. And when he ascended into heaven... And he said, I'm I'm about to give the most precious thing to you. I'm going to give you the spirit of truth. It's in John 14 that he talked about giving this spirit of truth to us. And the spirit would guide us into all truth. And if you have the spirit of God, then you have what's most precious in the world. Then you know God. Then you love God. Then you know the hope of the gospel and the joy of faith. Then you love your brothers and sisters who are around you. It's through the Holy Spirit that you not only know about justice and holiness and righteousness, you also receive every spiritual blessing. You receive peace and contentment and joy and gratitude. And so what it really means for us brothers and sisters is that alongside of teaching our children about who God is, one of the most foundational things we need to do is we need to pray For the gift of the Holy Spirit, that they may be converted. And Alongside of testifying to those who are not believers, we need to pray for them. That the Spirit of God does a powerful work within them. That the Spirit changes them, so that they know God, that they are converted, and that they have a relationship with him. They need to use the means of grace, because the Spirit says that his work is tied to those means. And so you, you testify the gospel to them and then you pray that the Spirit uses it to convert them. And the greatest hope that we have is that it is the Lord's greatest joy to give the gift of his Spirit to his people. Our Lord Jesus Christ, when he was teaching his disciples how to pray, then he taught them the Lord's Prayer, Luke 11. And after teaching the Lord's Prayer, then he ends off by, by encouraging them to to go to God and to rely upon him as a good father. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And then he reminded them that God's a good father. As earthly fathers, we're good. If our children ask us for something, that we delight to give it to them. Then he says our heavenly father will do so even much more. Luke 11 verse 13, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. For Christ's sake, it is the Father's joy to pour out his Holy Spirit so that many people know him and believe in him. Let us pray, and let us use the means that God has given us. Amen. Let's now sing together, brothers and sisters, hymn 49, verses 1 through 4. Let's now call upon the Lord in thanksgiving and prayer. In our prayer this afternoon, we'll also remember our brother and sister, Spiker, Kurt and Dini Spiker. Later this week, they're planning to celebrate their 60th, 60th wedding anniversary. So we'll thank God for the faithfulness that He's granted to them. Pray for His blessing. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father in heaven, thank you so much, Lord, for the grace that you give us in giving us your Holy Spirit. Lord, we are sinners. We're dead in sin, we're blind to you. Also the devil, he, he keeps us in the darkness. And it's only a matter of your grace that we come to know you. Thank you that you send down your Holy Spirit into our hearts so that when we hear the message of the gospel that we can believe it, that we can understand that you are there, that you are real, that we can seek your face, and that we can share in your grace. Father, we pray that you would enlighten our hearts with your Holy Spirit. We pray that you help us to tremble before your word, to treat the scriptures as something extremely special, as your words to us, that we take it to heart and that we build our life on it. Help us, Father, to believe in Jesus Christ, to recognize that we are sinners and that we fall short, and that Christ has come to save us from our sins, and that if we trust in him, that his righteousness is accounted to us. Father, we pray that you would also help us to testify to the message of the gospel to those around us. If we are parents, Lord, then please help us to teach our children to know you and to love you. Help us to to lay the scriptures on the hearts of our children, that they may understand your grace, and that they live out of it. Help us to, to train our children, to discipline them, so they understand what the Christian life looks like. Help us to to equip them so that they forsake the world and that they seek to live in holiness before you. We also pray, Lord, that you assist us so that we may live godly lives, that our lives can be a billboard of your grace, of your kindness, of your mercy. And we pray, Lord, that that we may have many conversations with the people around us, that we can testify to them of who you are and what you have done. Father, when we meet people at work or when we talk to our neighbors or when we have a conversation with someone at uni, then please give us the courage to testify to the gospel. Give us the courage to invite people along to church. We pray that you would bring people to us, that they may seek to know who you are, and that when they hear the preaching, that you would use it to convict their hearts, that they understand who you are and what you have done. Thank you, Lord, that you brought many to us. We pray that you continue to bless those who have come to us that we help each other to grow in the knowledge of your name, that we're grounded in an understanding of your truth. If you bring more people to us, Lord, help us to also disciple them, that we're able to, to train them and to instruct them in the doctrines of the scriptures, that they may understand who you are and what you have done, and that they can live in gratitude for the salvation of Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you that it is your joy to bring many to faith. We pray, especially, Father, if there are the children of, of some of us who have turned away from you, who are struggling in their faith, who have a lot of doubts in their hearts, that you hold on to them, Lord, and that you bring them back. We ask that you would please rescue them, and that you open their hearts to the gospel. Grant that that we may, by our lives and by our testimony, that we may speak into their lives, and grant that, as we do so, Lord, that you would use that, and that you would help them to become grounded in you and in your son, Jesus Christ. Father, this is your joy, and we, we ask you for your grace. Please do it for Jesus' sake. At the same time, Lord, we also submit to your sovereignty. You are the Lord, and you are the one who gives grace as a gift, and we can't force you to do that, and we respect your majesty in this. And so we plead with you, and we ask you, for the sake of Jesus Christ, and for the sake of your covenant, for the sake of your name, that you would work it out. We we entrust it to you that you know best. And then Father, we also wish to thank you for the other blessings that you have given to us. Thank you so much that we can celebrate with our brother and sister Spiker, their 60th wedding anniversary. But what an incredible gift that you have given to them. Thank you for the long life that they may enjoy. Thank you, Lord, that, that you have protected them and kept them safe for 60 years of marriage. We pray that you would sustain them, that you uphold them, and that you, that you continue to bless them. Thank you that they can support each other in their old age. And please look down upon them and give them all that they need. We pray for a blessing over the time that they may celebrate together with family members and friends. And we ask, Lord, that you would give them much joy and that you surround them with your love and care. We also thank you, Lord, for others. There are others who are also celebrating anniversaries for many, many years. What a blessing that is from you. We, we thank you for that. We also pray, Father, that, that you would please help each one of us in our marriages, that we may be faithful to our marriage vows. Grant, Lord, that we may love one another from the heart, that we can live together in peace and in unity, and that we may, may show the fruit of the Spirit in our dealings with one another. Grant that also through our love that our children understand something of the, the peace and the love that you have for them and that you would use this also to draw them close to you. Father, thank you that that you promise to help us in these things with your Holy Spirit for Christ's sake. And we pray, Lord, that, that you make it a reality. We also pray Father that you please be with our, our new missionary, with Brother Tim and also his wife Slaw. I want to ask Lord that you please help them. They need to Tim needs to prepare for classes here in Australia. I want to pray that you bless the preparation that he goes through, that he's able to sustain the exam, and that things may go well for him. I also want to ask, Lord, for blessing on the work that's going on in the mission field. we grateful for our brother and sister, Ben and Marinda Vandekamp, for the break that they could have. I'm grateful also that Pastor Ryan DeYoung could return to the mission field again and that he could continue with the work there. Please bless each of them in, in their circumstances. I also pray, Lord, that you would please bless the leadership training conference that they had, that it may bear good fruit. Thank you so much, Lord, that, that you are doing such powerful work in, Indone- in uh, Papua New Guinea. And we pray, Lord, that you continue this work. We pray that you bless the Indigenous pastors, that they faithfully administer your word. Please grant that the, those who are candidate pastors can also continue to grow in their training. Please grant that those who are elders and deacons may be faithful in their task, that they understand what that means and what that looks like, and that they can provide good, good oversight of your people. Please bless your churches there, that they grow in spiritual maturity. And if it's your will, Lord, we pray that you also add to their numbers. Father, thank you that that you love us, that you love them, and thank you that you are doing this great work. Please accept our thanks, please hear our prayer, please do it for Jesus' sake. Amen. So brothers and sisters, we just prayed for the uh, mission work in p g You now have the opportunity to also financially support this work. And after the collection, we're going to sing together from hymn 47, the verses 3, 4, and 5.